It is good to be together again after missing last week. I did, I did miss being together. Um, and I figure that since I didn't get to speak to you last week, I have twice as much time this week to speak as last week. So settle in for a long... No, that's not the way it works, is it? Anyways, it, it is good to be together again. And it's so fun to, for me to, to welcome three little ones in baptism, to have, have some of them still here in front. It's just, it's just so refreshing. I'm a, I'm a baby lover, so I love having babies up front here. And, and as parents, and when we have little ones like this, we have, we have great dreams and hopes for our children, right? We envision the future for these little ones, and we see great successes and, and great joys and, and all the blessings that they're going to experience, and we celebrate those things. But we don't often want, what we don't often want to think about when we hold these little ones in our arms is the challenges they're going to face. We don't like to think that, that there's pain coming in their lives and there's disappointment that they're going to experience. There's going to be some really tough times. Anybody of us who have had any kind of life experience know that none of us is exempt from pain and suffering in this world. Right? We, have, we have those intense pains that, that come and hurt for a moment, right? There's no doubting the pain of that injury that sidelines you for the season. There's no doubting the heartbreak that comes when, when your girlfriend, your boyfriend breaks up with you. There's no doubting the, the disappointment that comes when you don't get the job or you miss out on the great business deal that you thought you had in the bag. Those pains are intense and they're real. Then you have the pains that come into life and that last for a long, long time. The ones that shake the very foundations of our lives, right? The cancer that daily saps away the life. The arthritis that every morning makes every day painful. That gut-wrenching feeling of rejection when your spouse walks away from you for good. That desire for a child. I know this morning is difficult for some of you because you desire to have a child and for some reason God hasn't given you that child and, and you ache with that longing. Or that grave marker that you can go visit for your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your child, your son and your daughter. That real life pain comes and it comes hard. And it often makes us question, doesn't it? It makes us wonder. It makes us doubt on this journey of faith. Those questions shake us right down to the core of who we are. And we wrestle with God through those impossible questions. We say, why God this pain? Right? Why all this suffering in my life? Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you come and take this pain away? Where are you, God? And those questions often lead us to say, are, are you God? Do you really care? Maybe there's nothing you can do. And we begin to doubt, those nagging doubts in our lives. Well, in Psalm 44, the psalm that we're looking at today, the psalmist doubts on behalf of himself and the whole nation of Israel in the face of the pain that they're experiencing. So take out your Bibles with me. Turn to Psalm 44, page 551 in the Bibles you have in front of you. 
The psalmist here, out of the pain and the crisis of his life and of the nation, he cries out to God. We're going to follow this lament of, of the psalmist who finds himself in the middle of deep pain. And he writes this song that really has, has four verses. Four verses that not only tell his story, that not only tell the story of the nation of Israel, but they tell our story as well. And the song starts by reflecting on better days. <laughs> Days in his life that weren't racked by pain. He begins by remembering the glorious past in verses 1 through 3. Listen to what he writes. He says, we have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what you did in, the, in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the people and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. Okay, pause there. He, he, he remembers God's great covenant faithfulness, right? When, when God's people were obedient and loyal to him as their God, he blessed them. And he remembers how God brought the people of Israel to the promised land, right? Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. They were nobody. They were nothing. And God chose them. He brought them to the promised land. And he drove out the nations before them. He planted them there. And it was God who crushed the enemies, Right? It was God who made his, his ancestors flourish here. It was God's right hand that gave them victory, not their own military power. Right? He remembers, we are God's chosen people. God, you chose us, you blessed us, we belong to you. We're in relationship with you. Those are great days. And with that covenant history in mind, the psalmist goes on to place himself in that covenant. Look at verses 4 through 8. All of a sudden it changes from this nation out there to me. He says, you are my king and my God. Who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our, our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. Okay, again, the covenant he sees is still in effect here. The psalmist places himself in the middle of the people of Israel, in the middle of God's covenant family. And still today, he says, like their ancestors, we're not relying on God for our, or we are relying completely on God for our victory. We're not relying on ourselves. They know it doesn't matter how straight they can shoot their arrows, how good they are with the sword. All that matters is God's power. It's God who decides who will be victorious. And so they, as God's covenant people, they trust God to keep them secure, just as their forefathers did. And with that trust in place, they fully expect God's blessing to pour down on them. They expect in, the, in this moment to be rejoicing over great victory as their ancestors did. But instead, the psalmist goes from, from the account of this glorious past to describing the disastrous present in verses 9 through 16. 
But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. My disgrace is before me all day long. And my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. Everything's changed. They've experienced disaster in their lives. The nation of Israel went out to battle and they were crushed. They've been humbled before their enemies. Their adversaries plundered them, he says. They were devoured like sheep who can't defend themselves. They were sold, he says, like for a pittance. And whoever hasn't been hauled off in captivity to a foreign land, whoever, whoever has stayed behind now, they're the brunt of every joke. They're the laughing stock. They're pitied above everybody else. The pain of loss and destruction and death is real here. And these verses show us the reality that being in the covenant relationship with God, being in the covenant family, as we welcome these three little ones into that covenant family, right? That's no guarantee that the pain of life will miss you, will avoid you. Being a follower of God doesn't mean that your life is going to be exempt from pain. The psalmist felt it. Israel felt it. You and I have felt it. The pain of this life is real. And sometimes the righteous suffer. Sometimes bad things happen to really good people. Sometimes people who don't deserve pain and suffering experience it anyway. And that drives us, along with the psalmist, to ask the logical question, why? Right? Why am I experiencing this pain? Right? In his search for the answer, the psalmist begins by examining his own heart and the heart of the nation. Because the psalmist knows that one of the purposes of pain and suffering in our lives is that God uses pain and suffering to punish sin. Right? God allows us to experience the consequences of our bad choices in life. Remember, after the people of Israel had gone out of the desert and were conquering the promised land, the first battle they faced was the battle of Jericho. And here's this massive fortress city, and God makes the walls fall down, and they have awesome victory, and they think they're... they're they're invincible, and the next battle is the town of Ai, a little piddly town. They don't even send their whole army. They just send a few people. It's going to be so easy. And remember what happens? They're crushed. They're routed. Why? Because of sin. Because one man, Achan, disobeyed God, and he took what didn't belong to him from Jericho. And as a result, as a consequence to sin, they experienced defeat. 
Remember later in the, in the story of the nation of Israel, they send the Ark of the Covenant in the time of, of Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas. They send the Ark of the Covenant into battle against the Philistines as their, kind of their good luck charm, right? If the Ark of the Covenant goes, then for sure they're going to win. doesn't matter that God told them not to go into battle. It doesn't matter that they're being disobedient. It's a good luck charm. And they get routed for their sin, for their disobedience. Or in the New Testament, Jesus' disciples, they're walking with Jesus and they see a man who was born blind. And do you remember their question? They asked Jesus, who sinned? His parents or him? That made him be blind. It's pain as a result of sin and we can understand that, right? You make bad choices, you experience bad consequences. You drink too much, and you have a hangover, right? You, you choose to be promiscuous, and you, and you get an STD. You, you, you choose to be someone who consistently lies and gossips, and you lose all your friends. There's consequences to, to sin and bad choices in our lives. So the psalmist examines his life. He examines his relationship with God to see if there's some disobedience here that's being punished. He searches his own heart. He searches the heart of the nation. And he gives the results of his search in verses 17 through 19. He says, all this happened to us, although we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. He searches his heart. He searches the heart of the nation. He finds that nothing has really changed since the time of their forefathers. They're still as faithful as they can be. They haven't turned from God in their hearts. There's no glaring disobedience and sin that would be a direct result. Nothing's changed in the battle except for the disastrous results. Pain would be easier to understand if we could always pin it to some specific sin, right? Cause and effect. If A, then B. If it was always a punishment for something we did. That's not always the case, is it? Jesus made that clear in his answer to the disciples' question. Remember they asked, who sinned, this man or or his parents? Because somebody must have sinned to cause him to be born blind. And Jesus' answer is, neither. Neither of them did. That pain is not linked to a specific sin. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes pain and suffering hits the righteous. And the psalmist, as one of those, is tempted to turn his back on God, right? He's tempted to walk away and say, fine, I'm out of here. His doubts rise up within him as he's struggling to understand his pain. He still knows, but he stays because he still knows that God is God. He still knows that there must be some other explanation, some other reason for his pain. So he keeps on searching. Look at verses 20 through 22. He said, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our heart? 
Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now just a little phrase in there that I think is really, really important at the start of verse 22. For your sake we face death all day long. For your sake. In the end, the psalmist comes to the conclusion that it is for God's sake that we suffer. It's the same answer that Job reaches. Remember Job? The most righteous man alive who goes through excruciating pain and loss in his life. Loss probably greater than any of us will fully experience. And his pain isn't caused by anything that he had done. His pain was a result of the power of Satan in this broken world. Job, if you remember, we get to see behind. God kind of pulls back the cosmic curtains. And we get to see that Job is a part of the battle, the cosmic battle of God versus Satan, of good versus evil. And you and I are as well. We are on that battlefield in this cosmic war. Often we are that battlefield between God and Satan. We are the front line of that battle. And as long as Satan is loose on this earth, he will cause pain. He will cause suffering. Not only, not only to the evil, to those who deserve it, but especially he desires to cause pain and suffering to the righteous. He will target God's people specifically because he knows that pain and suffering is his greatest power to, to sink deep into our hearts and to cause us to question God and to doubt God and to shake our faith to its very foundations. So as much as he is able, Satan's going to fill the believer's lives with pain because he knows that the ultimate question that we need to deal with in our pain is not the question of why, but the real question is what. What are we going to do? What is our response going to be to the pain that we experience in our lives? You know, if you read the book of Job, you realize that God had the perfect opportunity to answer the why question with Job. Job is asking throughout the book of Job, why, 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 why? And God comes and meets Job face to face at the end of that book. And he doesn't answer Job's why question, even though he had the perfect opportunity to. He doesn't explain it all to Job. He doesn't explain the whys to you and to me. Because God is more concerned about the response of our hearts than about helping our understanding. Because even if we had the answer to the why questions, they wouldn't satisfy. The pain would still be there. God's more concerned about the what is going to be the response of our hearts. You see, in this cosmic battle between God and Satan over our hearts, we can respond to the pain in our lives in two ways. Satan wants us to respond the same way that Job's wife suggested that he respond. Curse God and die. She said, right? Satan wants us to turn away from God because of the pain that he inflicts in our lives. 
And that was the psalmist's temptation in verses 20 and 21. All of this pain led him to doubt and, and, and let, tempted him to turn his back on God and, and to just forget about God. This is how it is to be part of God's family. I'm out of here. It's not worth it. It's how many people still today, some of us here in this room, it's how we respond to pain in our lives. Right? They experience real pain in life and they doubt God. Right? If God is so powerful and if God is so loving, then why? Right? Why do suicide bombs kill innocent people? Why does civil war in Syria continue to rip people's lives away? Why does a good man die of cancer young when there's old men ready to die who keep on living? Why are there so many evil people who are, who are living the high life and there's children homeless going to bed hungry every night? Why? And when God doesn't give a satisfactory answer, when he doesn't explain himself to them, they turn away and they walk away. They refuse to hope. They refuse to trust. They refuse to believe. And their pain ends up driving them away from God. And yet, so often, God takes the, the evil of pain and suffering that Satan inflicts and, and he uses it for good. He actually uses it as an opportunity for us to turn towards him instead of turning away from him. Romans tells us that he doesn't say that all things are good, but it says that all things work together for good for those who love him. And oftentimes God takes the pain and he learns to give us hope through it and to build our trust through it and to grow our faith through it. God doesn't give us the answers, but he does give us himself every step along the way. He gives us his love. He gives us his comfort. He gives us his faithfulness, especially through those painful times in life. That's what we see happening for the psalmist here at the end of chapter 44. His suffering doesn't make sense. He can't understand it. He doesn't deserve it. He certainly doesn't like it. He doesn't understand it, but he understands that God is faithful. He does understand that God has the power to carry us through the pains of life. He does understand that God is true to his promises, and he has promised never to leave us, never forsake us. He does understand the unfailing love of God directed at him at all times, even in those painful times. And he does understand that the only place that he will ever find healing, that he will ever find wholeness, that he will ever find any kind of hope in this unexplainable world of sin and suffering and pain, the only place is God. It's the only place. And so his pain drives him closer to that ultimate healer. And so in verses 23 through 26, he runs to God in his pain and he falls down before him holding on to his unfailing love. He ends with this. He says, awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Redeem us. 
because of your unfailing love. He finds his answer. He doesn't run away from God. He runs to God and says, I'm going to trust you. I need you to rise up. I need your unfailing love to prove itself again to me. He chooses to hold on to the answers he does have rather than to be pulled away by the answers that are missing, by the things he can't understand. And you know, with all the questions we ask, there is one answer that God has given. He has given us an answer to our pain and suffering in this world. He's given us the ultimate answer, and his answer is his son hanging on the cross. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, he not only carried our sins to the tomb and left them there, he carried our pain and our suffering to that tomb and left them there as well. When he walked out of that tomb three days later, he left both our guilt and our pain behind. Think about that. Through Jesus... You and I have a guaranteed future free of pain. All right, so we can, it doesn't take away the troubles of this world, but we know for eternity waiting for us, there is no pain, there is no crying, there is no suffering. We will be victorious in him. And so we can look through the pain of today. We can look through the suffering of today to the promises of eternity in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. And that gives us a whole new perspective when we begin to comprehend that. And the New Testament gives us that perspective. And we kind of shake our heads at it and wonder how in the world. How can James say? How can he write, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds? What? Consider it joy when you face trials? Well, consider it joy, he says, because it's pulling you closer to God and, and he's strengthening your faith through it. And Paul can write, we rejoice in our sufferings. What, he rejoices in sufferings? Yeah, because he has that eternal perspective through Jesus Christ. So he says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us when our hope is in him. James and Paul can consider it pure joy. They can rejoice in their sufferings. Because they see beyond the immediacy of the pain and they see the cross of Jesus. And they see the eternal future without pain, without suffering, without sin. Now they don't want, don't get them wrong. They are not suggesting that in the middle of our pain we should have a grin and bear it, everything's going to be all right, happy attitude. There's no trace of that in Jesus, in Paul, or in James, or anywhere in Scripture. When they hurt, they cried, because the pain was real. Paul speaks honestly in the New Testament. Read him sometime. He speaks honestly about about his pain and his suffering, coming to the point where he despaired of life even itself. He just wanted to die. Read the account of Jesus hanging on the cross. You'll hear him crying out in agony to his Father. It hurt. The pain in life is real. Don't deny that. God doesn't command us as As Christians, always put on a smile, always be happy. No. We can cry about the brokenness in this world and in this life. We should cry. But in the midst of our crying, 
we rejoice. We have peace in the middle of our pain because Jesus has added one more step beyond our suffering and that step is called resurrection. The ultimate victory over Satan and that reality is yours and it's mine. So I can't explain to you why God allows Satan to inflict pain and suffering in our lives to different amounts at different people. And I'm not going to pretend to give you clear answers that will help you make perfect sense of all that's going wrong in your life. I can't do that because God didn't do that. God didn't give all the answers to those questions. But he did give the one answer that really matters. He did give us Jesus who conquered our pain and who promised us ultimate relief if we'll trust him. I know some of the pains in this room. Some of them are public. It's in the bulletin. Some of them are private. Few, if anybody knows, the pain that you're experiencing. I know some of the questions and some of the doubts. Some of the spiritual wondering that goes hand in hand with that pain. And I wish I had an explanation. That our, the explanation for the questions that our minds desperately are looking for. I do know the truth that our hearts desperately need. And the truth is Jesus will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He'll give you strength for each moment. And the truth is in Jesus, ultimately we will, we will be victorious over pain and suffering. And the truth is that in spite of our pain, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Would you pray with me? God, from the midst of our pain and our suffering, whether that be momentary pain, whether that be one of those pains that has shaken our lives to the core, from the midst of our pain, we ask you, Father, awake, O Lord. Rouse yourself. Rise up and help us. And redeem us because of your unfailing love. We ask that you would not allow Satan's hold to get a grip on our hearts and our souls so tightly that we turn away from you. But Father, in the midst of our questions, in the midst of our wondering, may we turn more fully towards you. May we throw ourselves completely on your unfailing love, on your strength to carry us through every moment of every day. May you give us an eternal perspective that gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. May you, Father, be the cornerstone of our lives that stands firm through the storms, through the Events of life that want to shake us off of our foundation. Be the cornerstone that is immovable and that gives us a place to stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand with me? Worship team, would you come on forward? We're going to sing about that cornerstone using the song Cornerstone and let God be that foundation 
be that solid foundation in the midst of the storms of our lives. And so I don't know what exactly what all of you are going through. But as you're, as you're wrestling with life, maybe you let that come to mind this morning, honestly. And while you sing this song, you, you let God pull you closer to him, the cornerstone. Let's sing together.